Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 7, believe it or not. Mark chapter 7. Just to recapture a little bit of what happened last week, verse 8 is very important. Let's read verse 8 together. Ready? Begin. (laughs) You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. Boy, that was radical, absolutely radical in Jesus' day. A society full of laws and traditions. And Jesus is saying, well, I mean, it's different for us, I guess, as Americans, because we have that, you know, separation of church and state, so to speak. But when you have that, um, you know, that theocracy that that God was wanting to have with the people, uh, even though they did have a, a king for many years and even had kings at this time, there was that infusion of God's laws into everyday practice into politics and everything. It was just infused and it became every part of society. You know, we compartmentalize religion today. You know, and I and I often think, you know, if I was president, you know, and they say, Are you are you able to separate your, you know, your personal faith from following, you know, this and I, this and that? And I'm like, no way. That's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It infuses everything uh, that I think and do. And am I going to be praying for you? Yes. Am I going to be praying about policy decisions? Yes. Am I be, it's like, come on. We can't compartmentalize, but it, it, as Americans, we tend, sometimes can, can do that really well. Church is for church. Business is for business. Home is for home. It was all through them. It was all through their society. But... The danger with any repetition is that it becomes repetition and it loses its meaning. As I pointed out last week, we have many traditions uh, that we follow that are awesome, that are great. You know, perhaps taking communion, you know, but that is a tradition that the Lord set up. So it's something that we follow biblically. But how easy is that for us to just do it, you know, and not really think in our hearts what it's about? And... You know, even tithing or, or coming to church on Sunday, it's not an act of the heart. It's out of, okay, I'm a Christian, I go to church. That's like I'm a car, I park in a garage, you know? It's like, come on now. And God is always just looking for this heart that's broken for him. And verse 14 says, And Jesus called the crowd to himself, Listen to me, everyone. He says something radical. Understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. You know, and this was a society full of what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, and all these types of things. And so this was going against a heavy amount of tradition. It's not about the soda pop or the ham sandwich. These things can't defile you. They can't make you wrong with God. It's not about what you eat or drink, because it goes through your body and gets eliminated. You know? It doesn't go into your heart. Jesus is explaining this. Now, I do not have time to go into the Old Testament and why God set up those laws. There was an absolutely perfect um, reason for these things, and, and just sanitary reasons and, and health reasons, kids be, uh, being out in the desert forever, you know, trying to keep these people alive. 
And also these things were pictures of things to come. We don't have time to get in that to the day. But these were people who did not eat pork because it was unclean. And here Jesus is saying, it's not what goes in your mouth. You know, rather it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of our hearts. That's scary. Because the world tells you where you're basically good. I don't know about that. I don't have to teach John and Ruthie to be bad. They're professionals. (laughs) I mean, that first no, you know? Whoa, where did that come from? Hi, I'm a little sinnerling, you know? It's just part of my nature, just growing. And as I get to watch you and other people, I get to develop on how I can do that. You know? It just comes. And by the way, I've got some of my own inside that I've created by myself. You know? Wow, that little person. Little angel. Man, nothing outside of them can defile them. The statement was radical. It was a radical department from their, uh, departure from their traditions. One of the laws was that they couldn't eat pork. I already mentioned that. It was unclean. And during the time of the Maccabees, uh, between, between basically the two Testaments, the end of the New Testament, I mean the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New, there's a silent period in our scriptures. Well, there was uh, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, the Syrian king, and he commanded everybody uh, to eat pork. And they, would, they died because they wouldn't eat pork. They just wouldn't do it. This is how strong and ingrained it is in that society. These traditions, these things that God had commanded them, they held them. And even the extra credit um, pharisaical laws, you know what I mean? <laughs> they were holding to those too as best they could. And that's why when Jesus came and said, lest your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there are no means you'll enter heaven. They're going, what? These guys are superstars at keeping the law and all the other things. We can't do that. That's right. We can't. It has to exceed that. It has to be absolutely perfect. And only one person did it, Jesus Christ, for us. But you can see this backdrop of the society that's so legal and, and heavy. These burdened people were burdened down with weights. Jesus, this radical teacher, comes up and he says, it's not what goes into your mouth. That doesn't defile you. It's not what you eat. It's about your heart. Very radical. Very radical. For us, it's not what we eat or drink that makes us right with God. It is our heart. And Jesus declares that. And Jesus is constantly bringing this reality of the kingdom of God to his disciples and to the people around him. And anyone who has ears, listen up. He would always cry out, hey, you got ears? Listen up. This is important. He'd cry out. You know, we need to know that it's not our traditions that make us right with God. It's not the way we wash our hands, you know, like the Jews did several times during the meal. It's not because we go to church regularly. It's not because we take communion that we're right with God. Let me clarify in a second. It's not the act of taking communion. It's not, you know, it's, it's the grace of God alone through Christ on the cross that makes us right with God. It's his blood that was shed that makes us righteous, that makes us right with God. Period. Nothing else. And if your faith is hinged upon anything else, I'm sorry. 
it falls short of the pure glory of God, which is Jesus Christ crucified for us. That's all we stand on as far as us being right with God, is that he died in our place, that precious blood that was shed, that body that was broken for us. That's it. And the moment we believe in that, we're right with him. And we become a new creation in him. We become new inside. How many of you, when you receive Jesus, all of a sudden you started becoming new inside? doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, you know, some of you have those kind of experiences. You know, for me, it was just a long period of time of just change. How many of you have experienced just the change in your life? You know, you stop dropping so many F-bombs and all that stuff, and you start, you know, talking a little bit nicely sometimes, and God starts working on areas in your life, and you're just, you know, he's just tackling one little thing at a time, and here he moves to another, and the other one creeps back, he tackles that again. You keep going, you know what I'm saying? But there's this constant heart that's being broken before the Lord. And what's exciting about that is that then all of a sudden, you know, I kind of want to go to church. I kind of want to go hang out with these weirdos. Because I'm one of those weirdos. I kind of want to go to a Bible study on Wednesday night and hang out with my friends and talk about Jesus and seeing how they're doing. I kind of want to go pray for people. I kind of want to go, you know, love people and do these things. I kind of want to sing to him. You know, by myself, of course. You know what I mean? That's okay. But, I mean, just you begin to change inside. You become a different person. And you see that those aren't the means to righteousness. They're because you were saved, because you're in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because he saved you. That life overflows to other people. Do you see that? Not Saturday morning knocking on the door because if I don't do this, I'm, I'm not going to be the, you know, the added from the 144,000. You know what I mean? It's just not going to, you're not going to earn it. We cannot earn it. It's by grace. And so I always have to ask, you know, why I do what I do? Let's examine our hearts and the traditions that we hold before the Lord. Are we doing them because they think that we make them us righteous for it? You know? Because if that's the case, we're gravely mistaken. But if it's out of a heart of, Lord, you have me and I'm doing this because I'm yours, even when you don't feel like it, by the way, I'm going to church because it's the right thing to do because I love you, Lord. I'm dedicated to you. How many of you know marriage isn't always feelings? How many of you know relationship with the Lord isn't always based on feelings? Yeah. You guys get it. We have to ask ourselves these things. And so Jesus, verse 24, he left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. Some say Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not help keep his, his presence secret. He could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrophoenicia, or Syrian Phoenicia. She she begged Jesus to drive out the demon out of her daughter. Jesus went into Gentile territory. 
and it was way up north of Israel there on the coastlands. You know, it's a guess as to why, but my guess is he's been trying to get some relief from the constant pressure of the crowds. This is all hearsay, so just take this with a grain of salt. But as you see, I will take you to a place of rest. I will take you to a place of rest. But what happens? Constant bombardment from the people. And I think he's wanting to get away, so why not go to Gentiles? You know? I don't know. That's, that's my guess. Perhaps, you know, just to get, get along with his disciples, whatever it was. But he entered a house, and he didn't want anyone to know it. But he could not keep his presence secret. I love that about Jesus. He can't hide from the needs of people. He cannot hide from the needs of people. You know, if you're here this morning, you're, you're needing help. He's not hidden from you. He's here. Where two or more are gathering his name, there I am also. He's here with us. You're needing help in your heart this morning. You're hurting. You're scared. He's with you. He's here to minister to you by His Holy Spirit. And by the way, by His body. Through His Word, through prayer. He's here with every tactical advantage on you and just wants to minister to you. Speak to your heart. Are they open to hear from Him? I love that about Jesus. He can't hide himself. He's here. And a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrophoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon. Notice this woman was Greek. She was a Gentile. You know, Gentile women and Jewish men, you just don't, you don't approach one another. You don't approach one another. Jesus was approachable. Notice that about Jesus. And notice how she approaches him. She approaches him with humility. She fell at his feet. She fell at his feet. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up, we sang, right? That humility coming before the Lord, knowing your place. You know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And as I was thinking about that verse, I was just saying, you know what, Lord, am I... Am I too proud to receive from you? Am I too proud? Do I have it all figured out to where I have my needs met by Matt? Or am I willing to bow literally and even in my heart before you and cry out to you and say, Lord, I'm in need, and to beg him? Boy, that messes with my pride. That messes with something about inside of me, inside of a man, inside of a woman that says, I'm good enough. Because that's the message that's all around us today. You know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. You know what I mean? Yeah. She begged him. You know, if we're not willing to be humble before the Lord, if we're too proud, we're so missing out on what he has to free us from and to give us. 
Verse 26, and she begged Jesus to drive out the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus responds. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone equates me with a dog, I'm like, you know, I'm, a, I'm growling and barking already, you know. I'm just, I'm just not doing well inside. Those are hard words, don't you think? And there's a lot of um, racial tension there. I don't know how to explain it any way, any way else. There's, there's a lot of cultural tension. You see, the Jesus came to the house of Israel first. What he was saying was true. As Paul proclaims in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power unto salvation first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The message of the gospel was first to the Jew. That's where it was to go to. They were the chosen people. The message was supposed to go through them. That's the lineage of David, where uh, Christ, the Messiah, would come from. And from there, it would go into all the world. It came to to the Jews first. But God's plan was eventually, as we see through Paul and all the other guys there and gals that went ministering to the Gentiles. But he said, you know what? First, let the bread go to the, go to the children. You know, it's not right that we give it to the dogs. There are, luckily, two words for Greek for dogs. And one is these dogs that would run around in packs. When I was in Israel, our bus broke down in the middle of the night in the desert Along the, on our way to the Dead Sea. And so we're out there in the middle of the night. We get out of the bus and you hear these dogs doing whatever they're doing. It sounds like they're hungry and they see us. And uh, boy, I said, what, what are those? You know, And the tour guide says, they're yackles. Because <laughs> he's Jewish, so it's jackals, right? These, they're yackles. And so these, these dogs out there, this is what they would call one of the words for dogs. And, and the Jews, they would equate the Gentiles, they call them dogs. And that's equivalent to our word for B-I-T-C-H. That's the same feeling that you get. That's the same connotation. Just uh, I know it's the female part. It's, diff- it's different, but that was, the, that was the drive. That's the translation. They were just derogatory. And so... That's, that's really difficult when, if someone were to call you that, but they would call those Gentiles those, those Gentile dogs. This was not the word Jesus used, praise the Lord. He used a word which would be translated little dogs, domesticated puppy like in your house. Still, very difficult to swallow, but perhaps not as much. So it lightens a little bit. And this woman's humility obviously shined. And her face shined. How many, if someone called you, kind of equated that, would be a dog, be like, I'm out of here. Our pride. But when you know your worth before Jesus, when you know your worth before a holy God, your true value at face value, sinner, lost, going to hell, apart from him, you kind of go, dog is pretty light. You know, Someone calls me a name, I go, you know, get upset, but I'm like, well, if they only knew the real truth. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
There's a lot more wickedness that comes out of us, but somehow the Lord redeemed us, and that's where we get our value in Him. That's where we become a person of value, and that's where, you know, women obviously were treated differently by Jesus than, than, than men. He changed things for us. Those values. I mean, there's just so much in there. I just love the way Jesus interacts with people and lifts them up. But she continued in faith. She was humble and she continued. How many of you, how many of us, you know, are humble and continue in our faith even when we're discouraged in the Lord? We need something. Our need is so great. But it's just not there. And it seems like his priorities are somewhere else. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon out of her daughter. You know, first let Israel eat, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs into the table eat the children's crumb. In that culture, they didn't use, you know, forks and spoons and, you know, utensils. No chopsticks. They used their hands, the utensils that God originally gave us, right? And so what they would do is they'd sit around the table and they'd have a common piece of bread and they'd break it and pass it to everybody and they'd dip in all the different sauces. So there's double dipping going like crazy. And that's why everybody was one with one another. This whole, this whole uh, to this day, you know, it's, it's Middle, Middle Eastern culture. And the very last piece of bread was used as a napkin. They'd have all these juices on their hands and all that stuff. So they'd take that last piece and they'd clean up all their fingers and take that piece and throw it to the dog. And they'd eat it. She's saying, hey, even the little puppies get the scraps that the children throw on the ground. I love that. (laughs) And then he told her, verse 29, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon had gone. We have a lot to learn from this woman's approach to the Lord. She knew her place. But she also knew how to come boldly before the throne of grace. She knew how to pursue Jesus. Oh, let us pursue Jesus this week. Don't be discouraged if you don't hear an answer right away, if there's a little bit of talk back and forth in your heart. Continue to pursue. Know his goodness. Verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Some say this might have been an eight-month journey, hanging out with his disciples. We don't know. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Notice the humility again. They begged Jesus. In 8, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said, which means be opened. Don't worry. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loose, and he began to speak plainly. So a man was brought to Jesus who was deaf and who could hardly talk. So Jesus took him aside away from the crowd. You know, as I was thinking about this, for some reason, John, Jesus wanted to get this man's undivided attention. He wanted to give them him special attention. It was probably difficult. If you can imagine being deaf, I don't know. But deaf and, and hard of speech, to 
understand everything that's going on in a large crowd with people pushing. And so Jesus, probably having compassion on this man, pulls him aside and also knowing probably the manner in which he was going to heal him. Maybe he wanted to pull him aside so it wasn't something that was repeated and all this type of stuff. Whatever it was, Jesus wanted to speak to him. And I do mean speak to him. And I love this. I believe that Jesus is the master of meeting us with our limitations. We have limitations. Jesus knows how to talk to you. He knows how to get through to you. He knows what we need. How many of you have limitations emotionally? Boy, what lengths is he willing to go to communicate in a way that we understand? And sometimes he needs to take us outside of the crowd to get us quiet and do that one-on-one time. Anybody had the, you know, the little side, side time with them? It's hard, but it's beautiful. He does deep work there. You know, I was just reading this, and he took him aside. And I just see this Jesus, and he, he goes away from the crowd, and he puts his fingers in the man's ears. Now, how do you think those ears were? And he spit. And then touched the man's tongue with his spit. How are you guys rolling with that so far? <laughs> Gross, Jesus. You know, it's like <clears throat> he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and he said, Be open. And when Jesus speaks, it happens. What's Jesus doing? He's communicating to this man who can't hear. I'm going to touch your ears, I'm going to make your tongue work from me to you and where does it where does all this authority and power come from and he looks up to heaven the deep sighs and he says be open and what happens when god speaks it happens and this man's ears were opened his tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly you know this whole process as i look is, is it pretty unconventional kind of make you feel weird what if that happened in here yeah, not going to that church. <laughs> he spit at people, you know? I mean, how we love to search for just the right method that will work, don't we? I love it. I love to look for the pattern in Scripture. I love to look for the repetition. I love to look for the method. You know? I mean, that's just me. You know, I'm a teacher. I'm trying to find out what it's about. So I, I'm looking for structure. I'm looking for a way that I can articulate it clearly, or I can understand it clearly. God doesn't always work in bullet points. Sometimes he likes to work in narrative, like Gary. He wants the dialogue, the relationship. I just want, God, give me the three points that I need to know to go do what you call me to do. Come on. Wow. When he's dialoguing, Matt, It's not about the bullet points. It's about you and I, you and me, you know, hanging out, talking, spending time, that relationship value. No, God, I'm an American. I'm task-oriented, Lord. Well, I'm not. Boy, 
how he loved to go to the seminars. I loved to go to the seminars, you know. You buy the CDs, you get the book, and boom, the model of the church. Yes! It worked there. It's going to work everywhere. Boo! I love this church. Not perfect. Not perfect by any means, you know. If you ask, what's your strategic vision for, you know, (laughs) we kind of laugh, you know. Our strategic vision is going, Lord Jesus, what do you want to do next? We don't have the big picture. We're, we're kind of been humbled over the years, it seems. There's just a humility. And, you know, I'm learning that as I'm coming alongside this body that is just really just clinging on to Jesus. And I need that in my life. Jesus, what do you want to do in this season? What do you want to do for these people? You know what they need. I don't know. But you're the pastor. Kind of like a big sheep with a big mouth, you know? (laughs) He is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. Oh, how we need your prayers. We need your prayers just to seek his face and get it right with him. So that's the big picture. You excited about it? (laughs) Look look at Jesus. What do you want to do now? Father, what's going to bring you glory? And you know what? He might want us to spit in someone's mouth and put our fingers in their ears. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm not trying to be irreverent. But he's often unconventional. And it goes against our traditions and what we always hold dear. I'm telling you. I don't like some of the ways the Lord works in my life, but if he hadn't done it that way, I wouldn't have known what I need to know. I can't explain it any other way. You know, like the process of coming here. I I explained that to you before, but the back and forth and all that stuff, but there's things that needed to happen. It couldn't have happened any other way. I don't understand it. Naaman, a Gentile, during the time of Elisha, he has a servant in, in, in Jordan. That's the area, Ammon or whatever it was. And this little girl's from Israel. She goes, hey, there's a guy in Israel who can heal you, Elisha. And so he finally, this big commander of the army, the enemy's army, comes over and talks to Elisha. And Elisha says, go bow in our river seven times, the Jordan River seven times. He's like, I've got rivers in my own place. And why seven times? You know, this pride thing. Like, I'm a commander of an army. I'm going to go dip in your river seven times. One. Get out. Two. What's that guy doing? Three. (laughs) Out. You know, four. You know, it just keeps on going. And he gets to the end there and says that his skin, he had leprosy, by the way. His skin was renewed like a baby's skin. I don't know if that's good for a commander of an army, but I mean, it's, he was restored. He was restored. But it was unconventional. The Lord doesn't work the same way every time. And he might be doing something in your life a different way. Lord, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to go dip in the river. I need you to dip in the river. I know what I'm doing. I love you. And when I'm done with you, you're going to be whole.
in verse 36, says, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. He said, don't tell anyone. And the more he told them not to tell anyone, the more they did it. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I have a new challenge for you this week. Don't tell anybody about Jesus. Don't do it at all, whatsoever. Whatever you do, don't tell anybody about Jesus. Hopefully the more I say that, the more you'll do it. <laughs> Man, we, we just have a lot, to, a lot to learn here, a lot to change in, in my heart. I just love going through the scriptures with you and, and just, what is it you have for me today, Lord? How can I change? Not there yet. You know, I'm not home yet. So, let's stand together. Lord, we stand before you as the redeemed, bought by the blood of your Son, brothers and sisters. And just as Byron shared with us earlier in that verse in Hebrews, he who makes them holy and those who are made holy are the same family. And you're not ashamed to call us your brother. Lord, we are your brothers and your sisters, and you're not ashamed to call us that because of the work you've done. I pray that we wouldn't be ashamed of you. I pray that we would go forward this week proclaiming and, and letting it saturate every single avenue of our lives. Lord, do the work in our hearts. Help us to be not mindless Christians, Lord, but contemplative and obedient. We love you, Lord. Will you watch over our families this week? Will you empower us with your Holy Spirit? We need your love to flow through us. We need your wisdom. God, we need your strength because of the fear in our hearts. Please don't let us continue in that, Lord. Give us opportunity to remove it and to walk in faith. I pray for those who are struggling this week, who are hurting physically, Lord. I just lift them up to you, Lord, and I ask that you would touch their hearts. Speak to them out of your word. I thank you that you already have today, it seems, Lord. Just judging by what I kind of sense, Lord, in my heart, I just... Thank you, Lord. I pray that the enemy wouldn't come down and swoop and take it away. Send people around them this week to encourage them, to call them up and say, Hey, how you doing? And Lord, give us your eyes to see the lost, Lord. We love you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.